0: Dose of Leadership podcast episode 127.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership, and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the Dose of Leadership Podcast. This
0: is your host, Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Hey, before we start with the interview, I wanted to ask you, are you looking for a leadership coach? Have you ever thought about leadership coaching? Here's your chance. I'm offering free 15-minute consultations. And if you're interested You can send me an email at richard.doseofleadership.com and just put in the subject line coaching and uh, we'll set up a free 15-minute engagement to see if coaching would be a good fit for you. I specialize in helping um, especially business owners and executives, but it can be any type of individual, any type of professional, any any of you out there who are searching for greater significance, confidence, and leadership accountability in all aspects of your lives. I think some of the biggest problems that I see that people are facing out there are stagnation and mediocrity in their personal and professional life. We're all searching for greater significance, a limiting self-belief, a self-image, and a lack of competence that's preventing us from living out our convictions. Again, a free 15-minute consultation. Just send me an email with your info, and in the subject line, put uh, coaching. And uh, again, it's at richardatdoseofleadership.com. Again, thanks for tuning in, and here's the interview. Well, I'm so excited to have Dr. Tasha Urich on my show today. She's an organizational psychologist, speaker, and New York Times and U.S. Today best-selling author of Bankable Leadership, Happy People, Bottom Line Results, and the Power to Deliver both. Her life's work is to help organizations succeed by improving the effectiveness of their leaders and their teams. She has a contagious p- passion and energy. And Dr. T and her clients call her pairs as her clients call her, pairs her scientific grounding in human behavior with a practical approach to solving leadership challenges. Her tenure plus career has spanned roles as an external consultant and a direct report to both CEOs and human resources, executives. The majority of Dr. York's work has been with executives in large Fortune 500 organizations, including C H Two M Hill, XL Energy, Western Union, Newmont Mining, DCP Midstream, Centura Health, Cobiz Financial, Vail Resorts, IHS, and the City of Cincinnati and HSA. I love how she calls herself a leadership geek, and I knew this is going. I know this is going to be a great conversation because she labels herself as that. Doctor, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to dig in.
0: Oh, so tell me how it all began for you. You know, we were talking in the pre-interview that you call yourself a leadership geek, and I love that. I consider myself one as well, and so I, I, I hope you can welcome me into your tribe of geekdom. So tell me how it all started with you and getting passionate about leadership.
3: As as
2: long as I can remember, I've really always been fascinated by leaders of any kind, you know, business leaders, political leaders, and I think it goes back to just the fact that I come from a pretty long line of entrepreneurs. I grew up, you know, my, my whole life with a single mom who started the first nanny school in the country. Yeah. And I it was so exciting to go to work with her and see all the great stuff that was happening. And so I think it was kind of inevitable that I went into organizational psychology. I thought for a while I was going to be a, a clinical psychologist, you know, more of a tell-me-about-your-mother kind of a person. Right. But it just didn't fit. And I was so excited when I found sort of two passions of mine coming together which are behavioral science what do we know about human beings and how do we pair that to help organizations
0: succeed
3: and you and I
2: as leadership geeks both know that leaders are really the engine that drives businesses and so for me I had to start there
0: yeah well I love it and I love learning from you know people with big brains like you I mean sometimes I always joke in my presentations that um, I'm not much for ethereal academics, but when I read your stuff, when I listen to your stuff, when I watch what you say about it, you blend. You have a great combination with common sense, practical applications, but yet there's, you're, you're tapping into the kind of the science behind leadership. So educate me a little more for a guy like me who has three brain cells and they're always rubbing against each other. You know, what, what is the science behind leadership?
2: And thanks for that question. I, I like to consider myself a business person first and a psychology second. Mm. And part of what that means is doing exactly what you just said, translating me, sometimes fairly obscure research on the topic, to what does it mean for an executive or a leader or a manager? And the one thing that we know is that the science of leadership is incredibly strong. A, a lot of people choose to dismiss it as fluffy or woo-woo, but what we know time and time again is that there is a direct bottom line impact to good leadership, and just like there's a good positive effect to good leadership, um, bad leaders have detrimental effects on companies. So whether or not people choose to believe that uh, time and time again, literally since the the 1940s, we've, we've pretty clearly understood what it takes to be a great leader and what the impact of that, that behavior is on companies.
0: So what, what is it? What do you think makes a great leader? I mean, it's, I know it's a broad question, but I'm just kind of tapping into your brain. What do you think personally makes great leaders?
3: simple,
2: actually. I think this is something that over the years, we have unintentionally overcomplicated. Yes. There was a study that was done in 1945, which is one of the classic, you know, research studies on leadership. They found two learnable behaviors that they attributed to leadership success. One, they called consideration, which is basically focusing on people, being empathetic, caring, coaching them. The second, they called initiating structure. And I call that More of a results based behavior, and that is setting high goals, making sure that people are accountable for the work they're doing. Again, more of those results based behaviors. And so at the end of the day, leaders are really responsible for doing both and I talk about this in my book but for a lot of people those two behaviors can feel like a trade-off but again for almost 70 years we know and we have known that the best leaders do both.
0: You know that it surprises me and maybe it's because I came from you know the Marine Corps that emphasized it and particularly the, the take care of your people take care of your people it's always about taking care of your people mm-hmm. and so it is a little foreign to me but I have seen it in in practical real-life application that do people people do think it's a trade-off that they think you either got to do people or you got to do results and you can't have both and that is such I, I don't understand that your book is really about that and talk to me about that why you think that's a myth or I know it's a myth but why is it a myth
2: you know I think the best way to talk about that maybe is to give an example um, so I you know work a lot with First-level supervisors who are just getting into the world of leadership, you know, just as much as I work with executives, so the, the whole range. And what I hear most frequently, especially from first-line executives, is it is so hard for me to give constructive feedback. Mm. I know that I have to give it, but I every time I give it to someone, I feel like I've ruined their day or I've ruined our relationship. So that's an example of a, a perceived trade-off. Right. If I give this constructive feedback, I'll get better results but it will be at the expense of the people side. Or, and this is what a lot of people do, I could, de- I could be uncomfortable and decide not to give the feedback, and therefore, you know, our relationship is intact, or so someone thinks, but the results suffer. And I see that as, as, you know, this people and results tension is the sum total of all of those little choices that leaders are making every day. And again, we know that the most enlightened leaders are, are people like you who kind of look at that question and say, well, what are you talking about? It, it's not a trade-off. It's not a choice. And, you know, people, a lot of people know that, but then it's just a matter of saying, okay, how do we... Break that down into the actions you're taking every day, and how do we make that real? Um, so I think you know, again, it's the sum total of those little little choices for leaders every day.
0: You know, I got criticized um, in one leadership role I was in for not not essentially beating them over the head with a whiffle ball bat, and there there is it is alive and well in a lot of areas. I'm curious about the companies that you've worked for. Do you see that? What which prevails? Do you see? Um, especially mid-level executives or mid-level managers and below, do you do you sense that success means you have to be a driver? Um, you know, and we even sometimes reward um, in personality tests, for example, that driver mentality, that driver relationship. And, and it's funny, I've seen people take those personality tests and they want to be the driver. Um, I just don't think being a driver is necessarily a key for leadership success. I know that was kind of a, a rambling statement there, but, but do you see um, – that driver mentality being as uh, the perceived road to success, I guess
2: my view on that is really that mentality and that framework of leadership come you know you can trace it all the way back to the military, yeah, that more command and control you're going to do it because I told you so. but I think at the end of the day as as our world is getting more and more complex. As companies are getting flatter, they're getting more virtual, it's, it's harder to hold on to things before they change. That's that's not a way to viably lead anymore. I do think that there are some industries that are starting to figure that out more quickly than others. You know, the kind of more traditionally results-oriented type of companies, right. um, even, even within the same industry, I see variability. So it's really just a matter of people honestly looking at the current business conditions they're facing and saying what's going to be the most practical approach to use to be successful as a leader. And what I find is when people start asking those questions, they start realizing that the, because I told you so, school of management isn't really getting them the results they're looking for.
0: Yeah, command and control. I don't even, I would even argue that command and control um, is more of a perception because even in some of the great leadership uh, with the leadership I experienced in, in my Marine Corps, that the successful leaders were not the command and control ones. And if you look at uh, success, yeah. successful battles or even going far back, this, uh, the things were great, things were accomplished, things that you just couldn't believe, you know, the, the, they overcame insurmountable, seemingly insurmountable odds. It wasn't the command and control leader that got him through that. It was the more what we're talking about here, the compassionate, you know, letting people make decentralized decisions at the lowest level. And um, so I I don't even know if command and control has ever been all that successful in the grand scheme of things. What are your thoughts?
2: I agree. You know, there's, a, there's an example that I use in my book of a, a former two-star general named Bud Ahern. And Bud was kind of at the very beginning on the forefront of the work in the space race. And he tells all these great stories about how as, as, you know, civilians and kind of private, non-governmental folks came into that process and they had to work side by side, that the leaders who came in and led with, you know, they still had a results focus but they brought in that people side mm-hmm. were infinitely more successful. So, again, I think, you know, from what I hear, never personally having served myself, there is still maybe that predominant feeling, but you're right. It, what I hear being most consistently successful in any situation is, is focusing on people and results at, at the same time.
0: Yeah, amen, and I think I remember even specifically, and I had that perception even when I went in the Marine Corps early on, but it was, it was not less than a year, and I came across a couple, uh well, I can remember specifically the first officer that came was was um, Peter Pace, who eventually became a ger- chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, and he was a forward colonel at the time, but he came in and he talked, and he started talking about his first platoon 20 years back in Vietnam, and he started talking about his folks, and you saw this compassion, you saw this human being emerge, and he and he was that was the first lesson that I got about the really great leaders the ones that you would fall literally through the greats of the hell had a great sense of vulnerability and transparency and there's tremendous power in that I love how you talk about transparency in your book particularly in part one um, be human and drive performance talk about transparency and authenticity with me
2: one of the the biggest mistakes I see leaders make at all levels is feeling that they have to withhold information and I think different people do it for different reasons. They're busy. They don't have time. They don't want to release information and then change something and have everybody get confused. Or, or simply they believe that information is power and holding right. it close to their chest serves them in some way. Right. What I see all the time is that in the absence of information, employees will almost always create conspiracy theories. Yes. So you might do one thing, which which is fairly innocuous and maybe you don't think twice about it, but if you don't share the intent behind it, the context behind that decision, your employees will almost immediately go to some kind of a nefarious motive, you know, we're cutting budgets and therefore layoffs are just days away, (laughs) all (laughs) from, you know, one simple discussion and to buy paper for the printer that's less expensive. So I I think transparency is an example of something that doesn't feel like it's the right choice, but leaders who go out of their way to constantly provide context and provide their personal intentions and motives for why they're doing what they're doing have have happier people, and their teams are almost always showing better performance oh. than those who, who kind of keep it too close to their belt.
0: I love that. I love what you just said, and it's so critical, and I just want to repeat what you said about the, the intent, uh, particularly the word intent, and... and um. I, I talk to to companies a lot about that, where they say if you could just we, when things don't go right, we tend to dive deeper, deeper into more detailed plans and plans, and that drives me absolutely crazy. When I, especially the leadership mm-hmm. should should be focusing more on developing their intent and communicating with abandon the what their the, the why, what the outcomes they want to achieve and why they want to achieve it. And once you do that, man, it unleashes a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of creativity, flexibility, and um and, and results, and, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
2: It, one of the most powerful communicators of that message, evangelizers, is Simon Sinek. Oh, my God, um, yes. And his whole spirit of start with why. Yeah. People don't buy, you know, what you do. They buy, essentially, why are you doing it? and so for leaders to take a step back anytime you're making a decision you're communicating something it's as simple as saying here's why we're doing this and if you if you take that time and you are authentic it saves so much problems so much heartache it makes your life easier at the end of the day
0: yeah we feel like we've got to wear masks sometimes i guess i mean i'm i'm guilty of that and i look back at the early stage of my leadership career i think you, you think well i've got to be the leader what does that even mean when really you should be focused on be, on being human right i mean just be yourself and and be completely authentic and transparent which being authentic is is not as easy as it seems i understand that i mean just saying to be authentic i mean it takes work because i think we're just kind of conditioned um maybe throughout life i mean you're the you're the doctor on this why do we why do we feel like we got to wear masks i mean where does that come from
2: I'm actually doing a keynote tomorrow where that's going to be the real focus of my talk. This notion that in in modern organizations, for whatever reason, there's this feeling that I have to come in and be the work version of me, the professional version. And, you know, I I use myself as an example. My most likely in high school literally was most likely to tell everyone her secrets and then swear us all to secrecy. <laughs> so I was probably the mo- overly authentic kind of a person right. when I entered the workforce. But but very quickly, I started to, to butt up against that culture. You know, and I started to feel like maybe I should listen to that common wisdom. Never let him see a sweat. It's better to keep your mouth closed and be thought a fool than open your mouth and prove it. And it, it sort of happened without me even knowing it, and I realized that I that I did have this mask that I was wearing. Yeah. So, so my view is, is if somebody like, me whose job it is, is to help people get away from that, there's just something incredibly tempting about it. The the way organizations are set up, the concept we have about what a successful leader is, and I think it requires a pretty significant leap leap of faith on a leader's part, especially if they're going against, you know, maybe they're in a really kind of tough industry. They're going to have to unlearn a lot of what they have learned to date, but nine times out of ten, you know, really like 99% of the time, when a leader takes that leap of faith, they immediately know that it was worth it and oh, yeah. they, they want to do it more.
0: Yeah. We you know we've hit on a lot of high points of the book. Let's talk about Bankable Leadership. What a great read. I, I highly encourage it to everyone out there. What what is the genesis of it and uh, how how did you come about writing it?
2: So the the first place that I started with this is that there are over one hundred thousand books on leadership wow. available if you just go to Amazon and type leadership books. So I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to write one additional book that should be out there that wasn't just saying something in a different way or you know kind of parroting what we know before. And the approach that I decided to take was to try to write one book that could serve as somebody's leadership field guide to essentially get them 80% of the way there to being a successful leader. The reason I did that is every single day when I'm working with executives, I hear people say, oh my God, you know, I, I've been wanting to read this book. It's been sitting on my nightstand for six months. It, it is a huge time commitment to just read one book. And so what I really wanted to do is encapsulate everything we know about leadership and some of the sometimes surprising scientific facts that we have uh, into one volume. And and again, nobody's going to read one book and wake up and be Nelson Mandela, but what I wanted to do is arm people with really, really practical takeaways that would
3: get them much, much
0: closer. Well, my litmus test, again, and I love, I love the way you write. I love the way the book is laid out. It's full of common sense, and that's what I think you, you really hit on the mark. You know, when you combined um, kind of the the big brain, the academics behind it, but in such a common sense, practical way that everybody can understand. I mean, I think you've you've got a home run here. And I think, um, I don't know, it's great. And it's full of just kind of, like you said, common sense, practical advice that everybody can use. I love, too, how you believe that everybody is capable of becoming a better leader. Where do you think, you know, it's a a cliche question, but I love asking this of, of leadership geeks like yourself, you know, are leaders made or they're born, I think I know what the answer is, but I'm just, I just want to hear what your thoughts on that kind of cliché uh, question is.
2: So there's, there's science behind this answer, and, and hopefully that gives people extra confidence to, that they can do it themselves. One recent study that came out that actually looked at the, the more genetic influences of leadership, what are you born with, found that 70% of leadership is learnable. It's honed through experience. It's right. something you can acquire in your lifetime. You know, and it, I, I think it makes sense that it's not 100% because you look at people that are just exceptional leaders, maybe some people who are who have that natural leadership gene. But I think that the mistake that some people make is they look at those leaders and then they contrast it with how they personally feel every day. Yes. This feeling of, why is leadership so hard for me? What am I missing? And they use that as an excuse to not grow and not develop as a leader. So what I always try to lead with in in the speaking, the consulting, the writing that I do is to tell people 96% of the population is capable of being a better leader if they want to. And you might be wondering what the other 4% is. Those are what we call sociopaths who really (laughs) have trouble making a a, a true human connection and and lack really hardwiring in their brain that allows them to do that. But I would say that for everyone else, there's absolutely no excuse. Now, the caveat to that is if you don't want to be a better leader, you're probably not going to
3: be
0: yeah. one. So
2: it's it's taking that leap and and really committing to yourself and to your
3: team that you're going to improve.
0: I love that. It's it's refreshing to hear you say that and that you have some science behind it because I agree with you. I think that, that um, and I know early on, I used to think, gosh, I got to be, especially when I was in the rink, or I got to be this larger than life, commanding presence, I walk in a room, everybody's going to follow me you know, I'm six foot four, booming voice, square jaw, which I'm none of, by the way. And as I progress, I learn that it isn't, it isn't so much about charisma. In fact, I think a lot of people stay away from leadership to that point that you said is because they think, wow, I couldn't fill those shoes. I couldn't fill John Wayne's shoes. And so there's no way anybody would follow me when it's so much more than that, right? It's so much more. And that, that gets to the compassion piece of taking care of other people. That is a great way to influence others by adding value to them, I guess is, is really the the key way to add or to gain influence in leadership
2: it's so true you don't have to be brave heart making right. a momentous speech before you go into battle you just have to value your people and you have to challenge them and you have to be honest with them and I completely agree I think so many people have this stereotype of this extremely you know sort of present charismatic leader and and maybe that helps you learn and grow but I think anytime you start to use it as a reason you can't be a good leader is when it starts to get pretty dangerous you
0: know I I agree with you that your book can be a great primer for somebody, you know, thinking, well, maybe I could be a better leader. I think it, I think it's laid out in such a clear way. Um, but I also think, too, and and I think if somebody would just read, you don't even have to read the whole book. But if you and I'm curious what your thoughts on it, but a Jim Collins chapter on level five leadership kind of ties into a lot of what we're talking about here. I think that is leadership gold for somebody who's thinking about if they could become a good leader or not, because that's, you know, was kind of a surprising a find in his book that he was really wasn't searching for, but it, it was inconclusive evidence that like, wow, you know, all these great leaders aren't necessarily the kind of stereotypical charismatic type. And what is your thought on, on that chapter that I just mentioned?
2: It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. Probably out of everything that's been written on the subject of leadership, that's one of my top three or four favorite concept. i
0: agree and
2: the first time i learned about it was i actually i went to i was in a a a phd program that sometimes didn't make you read all of the more popular management books So, so i had holes in my knowledge when i when i came out of grad school and the first job i was in when i when i when i graduated i was working for a man named jim downey and um jim was coaching me and he knew that i was almost like too hungry to contribute and to climb the corporate ladder and he said tasha before we go any farther i want you to read this chapter and i want you to write a book report on it mm-hmm. and i sort of snick- snickered and left his office and i remember when i sat down with that book and i and i read you know, I I didn't read the whole thing cover to cover. I just read that chapter about level five leadership. It rang so true to me. And it was such an important message for me to get at that point in my career. I think, again, there's this machine that you get sucked into when you when you especially when you go into a big corporate job, where you start to gain status or gain feelings of importance by how much you know control or power you have. But really, it's a matter of Servant leadership yeah. and leading so that other people can be successful, putting them in front, putting their needs first. And obviously, you're not running a, a welfare organization, so I, I think it's it's important to to say what that means and what that doesn't mean. But I think that's one of the most important concepts of leadership that that anybody should should know about.
0: Oh, I'm so happy that you felt that way too. It was it was that was a transformational kind of aha moment for me when I read that chapter, and it, it put all that previous leadership training I had into complete perspective, and it kind of unleashed or unlocked something that I was trying to get out, but I couldn't articulate it, and then that kind of just, that chapter just did it for me. It unleashed it. I'm like, nah, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. And so it, it, I think it's it's that powerful of a chapter. And uh, it's, it's refreshing. Yeah, and
2: it makes it okay. It yeah. makes it okay to not be, you know, a power-grabbing spotlight hog, essentially. <laughs> right. That's not only um what what you can do but it's what you should do as a leader and that's what helps you be most successful
0: yeah well the parts in your book your yeah, part 1 be human and drive performance part 2 be helpful and drive responsibility part 3 be thankful and drive improvement and part part 4 be happy and drive productivity what do you think is is in the the remaining time we have left what is kind of a, your jim collins chapter if you will what is what is that piece of the book is your favorite piece that's going to transform somebody else's thinking and open up that lock like like Jim Collins's level 5 did for me
2: that's a pretty intense question. <laughs> so. My immediate reaction is to be a consultant and say, well, it depends. <laughs> but I actually think that there's some truth to that. Right. One of the things that people say about the book when they read it is, wow, this book is about everything. And I go, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the intent isn't for somebody to read all 12 or 13 chapters and do all of them. It's for people to kind of read the book and connect whatever their biggest current struggle is with with a tool or with one particular skill that they can start trying. And so I think if you know, if somebody's only going to read one chapter, I would actually suggest that they look at the conclusion. And that's where I talk about kind of like, okay, what are you going to do with this? What whatever skill you have decided to focus on, how are you going to take it from being excited while you're reading the book to actually having your life be different. And I give a couple of tools that are you know, probably more detailed than we could go into in this interview, but the, the goal is to avoid something that I call delusional development. And delusional development is something that is pretty pervasive in, in most leaders' lives, you're busy. You've got a ton of commitments. You've got this whole PS, this whole life outside of the, the job that you're doing. And so people get really excited and make these laundry lists of, of all the skills they're going to build. And they think that just by wanting to get better at them, that that will magically happen. So, so my main piece of advice, I think, bottom line is for, for you to find what's the highest value skill or behavior that I can work on and focus on that one thing and make it okay that you're not trying to develop your negotiation skills, your coaching skills, your feedback skills, and, you know, a couple more all at the same time because it's much better to make significant progress on one thing and then move to something else than to have five goals that you're just going to be depressed by because you, you make no headway whatsoever. So I think, uh, to me, I think that's really the, the probably the most important takeaway for the book. And then it's just a matter of figuring out which skill is the skill that you want to build.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I love I love your answer and I would agree with you. And one thing I think you did really well, and, and you, you kind of hit on it in your answer there, that a lot of books don't do. And, and I'm, I love how you your conclusion is basically if I can sum it up and make sure that I'm getting all these points but but how I see it is that you're telling everybody that look you know what are you going to do with this leadership is not you know you're not going to read this book and become a a good leader you're not going to listen to this podcast episode and become a great leader you're not going to go to a seminar and be a great leader it's a day by day by day process it's something that you invest in until the day that you check out and you're right in whatever piece you want to work on you work on it And, um, and the intent and the other kind of theme of that conclusion is the intentionality piece is what you're hitting on and um, it really is about intentionality you know if you want to become a better leader um, you can become one Um, doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable but uh, you can definitely become one so I think I think you got a great uh, it's a great find it's a great read trust me I read a lot of leadership books and I really enjoyed this one. I, I really enjoy this one and I think it's it's really good for if you're just starting out or even if you're leadership geeks like you and I, I think that, um, you can get something out of it. So, so kudos to you for the, for the great work.
2: Well, thank you so much, especially coming from you. That made my day. Oh,
0: well, Guys, this is so much fun. I love talking. I knew this was going to be a fun conversation and I was exactly right. I hope I hope I met like I said the uh, the level of geekdom tribe that uh, that that you can accept me with open arms because it was a fun a fun conversation. <laughs> Affirmative. <laughs> Affirmative. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you and get in touch with you and uh, obviously the books I'll have links to all these things, but where can people get in touch with you?
2: So they can find me at um, my very difficult to spell name dot com, which is Tasha Uric, T A S H A E U R I C H dot com. That's where you can learn about my speaking, my consulting, and then if you want to learn more about the book, it's www.bankableleadership dot com. And just to to help people get the most out of their, you know, own focus and development, there's a free, totally no strings attached assessment that people can take if they go to bankableleadership.com. And the cool thing about it is you fill it out for yourself and then you send it to five to ten of your closest friends and coworkers who will also give you feedback. And it really talks about how much do you focus on people versus results and how can you get more balanced
0: Dr. Tasha Yurik, everybody, uh, check out her book. Uh, what a great guest. Uh, I look forward to maybe having you back. There's so many things I'd love to talk to you about, and I look forward to maybe collaborating with you in the future in uh, some arenas. So thank you so much for coming on the show.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: See ya. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.